Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Well, it's Mike again. It's nothing but the truth. Oh, man, it's really fine. My Lord, save Jesus Christ. I'm going to part four. Uh... In memory of uh, 9/11, its 15-year anniversary. Supposedly, it's September uh, uh, 11, 2016, but it's looking like they even lied about the dates in the year, at least. Um, yeah, the book is called 9/11: Enemies, Foreign and Domestic, Secret Evidence, Censored from the Official Record, Proves Traitors. Aided Israel in attacking the U.S. by Edward Henry. Wolfowitz <clears throat> and this Dove Dove Zach Heim Heim or Heim Heim. Who knows how to pronounce him? Chapter six: A patriotic witness steps from the rubble. April Gallup was Pentagon employee who was present at the Pentagon when it was attacked 9-11. She was an administrative specialist with the U.S. Army with a top-secret special compartmented, compartmented information clearance. Her first-hand witness experience corroborates the evidence listed in the previous chapters. Gallup and her infant child were injured in the explosion that enveloped her office. After the attack, she was in the hospital and was visited by civilian and military personnel who were not concerned with her well-being or that of her child. Neither were they interested in hearing what she had to say about what happened. Instead, they were there to inform her of what happened at the Pentagon that day. They told her that a plane had struck the Pentagon. It is apparent that their job was to give her the company line, so to speak, that she should adhere to that story. When she later raised questions about the lack of any airplane parts at the alleged crash site, the Department of Defense retaliated against her. She was wrongfully denied medical care and other benefits she should have received since the accident. She was refused service at the VA Medical Center on the grounds that she supposedly owed the Defense Department more than 14000 for which no documentation has ever been provided. The officials from the Defense 
Department of Defense have acted to discourage others from helping her. When she was discharged from the, the Army, the Department of Defense closed out her account with a zero balance. And by the way, they're pretty ruthless in the military. I know at least of one person who was must have suffered quite a bit for you know, a lot of wicked people in this world. A lot of wicked people. Gallup's desk on 9-11-2001 was roughly 40 feet from the hole uh, in the outer wall of the Pentagon. She was returning from maternity leave and was instructed by her supervisor to immediately go to her office as soon as she arrived at work to perform an urgent document clearing job. She was told that she should not drop her baby off at uh, childcare until she was finished with the job. Following those instructions, she was able to get her child clear through security. She sat down at her desk, and as soon as she turned on her computer, she heard and felt two explosives, explosions in succession. Flames shot out of her computer, and the walls collapsed, and the ceiling fell in. She was dazed, but ultimately found her baby and made her way towards the daylight, showing through a blast opening in the outside wall. These are the type of people that we're dealing with. This truly evil. It's just in Romans 1, read it over and over again. We're dealing with reprobates. We're dealing with people that deny God, true and living God, and they are inventors of evil inventions and are just everything you'll find in Romans 1. It's really disturbing. When making her way to safety through the building and out of the hole, she saw no airplane wreckage, no seats, no luggage, no burning airplane fuel anywhere. There was no evidence of the plane inside the building. She saw only rubble and dust. When she made it outside of the building, she saw no evidence of any plane parts anywhere outside the Pentagon. If the plane had struck the building, Gallup was in a position to see its wreckage as she Traverse the area immediately inside and outside the alleged impact zone. She explained in an interview that she was uh, concentrating on what was on the ground because she lost her shoes and was therefore walking barefooted with her baby son on her shoulder. She was being watchful and careful not to cut her feet on the debris. Consequently, she was, she was focused on the debris and what type of debris it was. Kelp never at any time saw any plane debris or any sign whatsoever that an airliner had struck the Pentagon. A significant point is that in talking with her coworkers, who also survived the blast. It was unanimous among them that there was no visible plane debris 
immediately inside or outside the impact zone. And how do they shut these people up, these poor people? They threaten them financially. And they ruin them. Almighty God, the true and living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, have mercy on this lady. I don't know whether she's still alive or not. Her baby. Have mercy on the people that were there that day. Have been forced into lying and deceiving the nation. Almighty God, have mercy on us all. All great and powerful sovereign God. Almighty God. In the name of Jesus Christ, your only begotten Son, have mercy on us all. Shine your loving kindness on us. Shine your share and give, grant us your mercy. Almighty God, we are nothing without you. We're in terrible, dire straits without you and our Lord Jesus Christ. There is literally no hope without Jesus. Oh, Lord Jesus, defend us from the evil one and his minions. Be our buttress, be our fortress, be our shield. Almighty God. Oh, God. When will you All praise and glory go to you, God. Mighty God. Ah, man, it's just depressing. Kelp never at any time sold a plane to breathe. It's a big point of talking about the program. Okay. In 2008, Gallup filed a federal lawsuit against Vice President Dick Cheney, Secretary of Defense Donald Lonsfield, General Richard Myers, USAF, retired, and others unknown for their complicity in 9-11 attacks. Her lawsuit was dismissed, and she, was, she has appealed that dismissal. One of the three judges hearing her appeal in the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Second Circuit is none other than Judge John Walker, who is President George Walker Bush's cousin. As of this writing, her appeal is appended. Gallup's original complaint set forth compelling facts in support of her claim. Her most significant charge is that the official story that a hijacked plane crashed into the Pentagon and exploded is false. Her claim is supported by clear convincing evidence. She bases that claim in pertinent part on the following first-hand observations. At the building, inside and outside of the wall, as the plane supposedly hit, there was no wreckage, no airplane fragments, no engines, no seats, no luggage, no fuselage sections with rows of windows, especially no blazing quantities of burning jet fuel. The interior walls and ceilings and contents in that area were destroyed, but there was no sign of a crashed airplane. A number of those present inside the building 
and out have attested to this fact in published reports. Galb's complaint points out the obvious impossibility of the government's official plain in fact conspiracy theory. The nose of such a plane containing radar equipment and the outer shell is made of a porous composite material that allows the radar to function. Therefore, the nose was not capable of surviving an impact with the outer wall without being crushed, let alone penetrating all the way inside the C-ring wall 300 feet away if the plane did not strike if a plane did not strike the Pentagon, what caused the, ja- the damage? Gal points out, several trained and experienced military personnel at the scene noted the distinctive odor of cordite, a high explosive used in gunpowder in an aftermath of an attack on, in the aftermath of the attack of the Pentagon. This suggests explosives as the cause for the destruction rather than impact or fire resulting from burning jet fuel. Her complaint raises an issue that few have touched. If, as has been reported, it was known that there was an unidentified jet plane approaching the Pentagon after all domestic flights had been grounded, and the Twin Towers had allegedly been struck by two planes, why were there no efforts made to sound the alarm and evacuate the Pentagon? If an unauthorized non-military plane was headed towards the building on a day when two apparently hijacked planes had hit the Twin Towers, why wasn't she evacuated? With her baby, instead of inside. Why weren't alarms going off and all the people in the building rushing to safety? Due to the conspiracy and defendants' actions and fragrant failure to act in the furtherance of it on 125 people, members of the military and civilian employees died in the bombing and many more including Plantons and her child, were seriously hurt. 125 people, members of the military and civil employees, died in the bombing. Wow, I didn't know that. I didn't know it was that many. Her complaint points out the black box data from the alleged plane released by the National Transportation Safety Board, NTSB, indicates that, quote, the airplane passed over the building at very low altitude, just as an explosive and fireball were engineered by other means, a planted bomb or bombs and or a missile, end quote. Regarding the flight data, flight data, Gallup further points out, the black box flight data recorder identified by the government as coming from Flight 77 and reported recovered from the wreckage at the scene, bears data 
according to pilots who have examined printouts provided by the NTSB, which contradict various aspects of the official count, and indeed the very notion that a plane struck the Pentagon in crucial ways is it is fu- uh, fundamental it is a fundamental premise of airliner manufacturer an operation that the black box only stops recording data when a flight is terminated by the pilot turning off the engines at the gate or by a crash according to the pilots who studied the printouts, however, the record, record showing the path of the Flight 77 etched with codes which connect it to that plane that day cuts off unaccountably some four to 500 yards short of the building. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Gallup points out contradictions between the 9-11 Commission Report and the NTSB conclusions. The Safety Board has released a computer simulation of the flight path of Flight 77, allegedly based on the data from the flight recorder, which contradicts a simulation adopted by a 9-11 Commission. The commission's simulation shows the flight path of the official story at an angle reflected by the damage inside the building consistent with a downed light poles and to the south of the two nearby buildings housing the Navy Annex and Sitco gas station. The NTSB simulation shows the plane headed towards the building on a path north of the two buildings and a and the line of lampposts. Notice the key point made in the complaint that the NTSB simulation based upon the flight data in the black box shows the plane headed towards the building on a north path of Sitco gas station. That is directly contrary to the path as portrayed in the official story by Nylon by the 9-11 Commission, which has the plane traveling south of the Sitco station. The northern path is consistent with the 13 eyewitnesses who show the decoy plane approach to the Pentagon north of the Sitco gas station prior to the explosion. Obviously, the NTSB simulation was based upon the black box data in the decoy plane. The decoy plane never actually struck the building, which is why the data on the black box terminated 400 to 500 yards short of the Pentagon. The Gallup, excuse me, Gallup raises questions about the very existence of hijackers. There have also been repeated reports since 9-11 that several of the other men named and pictured by the FBI as hijackers were still alive after 9-11 and living in various locations in the world, including one, Walid al-Shirai, who was said to be a working pilot for Moroccan Airlines, correctly shown in the FBI photo, 
whose identity and locations have been verified by at least one major press outlet, the BBC. This information has not been pursued by U.S. investigators or media. Most significant is the missing $2.3 trillion that the Defense Secretary Bronsfeld, Rumsfeld announced at a press conference on September 10, 2011, which has all been forgotten about after the 9-11 attacks. Further, it should be noted that on September 10, 2001, the day before the attack, Defendant Rumfeld conducted a press conference at the Pentagon in which he publicly announced that auditors had determined that some $2.3 trillion in Defense Department funds, that's right, two dollars could not be accounted for. Two Plaintiffs' knowledge and belief part of the area of the ground floor of the Pentagon that was destroyed in the building is located where the records were kept that would be used to trace those funds, where people worked who knew about them. On the information belief, there has been to this day no public report concerning the fate of those records and the money. Chapter 7, What Happened to UA Flight 93? Below is a picture of the alleged crash site of the United Airlines Flight 93 near Shanksville, Pennsylvania. Notice that, as with the Pentagon, there is no sign of plane anywhere. This is supposed to be the scene of a Boeing 757 crash, yet there are no planes, no wings, no seats, no fuselage, no tail section, or any of the parts one would expect to find from a 115-ton aircraft. Eyewitnesses of the scene saw no plane, saw no sign of an aircraft anywhere. Chris Konucki, a photographer, was interviewed by a local Fox News affiliate reporter and asked, quote, any large pieces of debris at all? Smoke, fire? End of quote. And uh, Nikki stated, quote, no, there was nothing, nothing that you could distinguish that a plane had crashed there. No smoke, no fire, end of quote. The mayor of Shanksville, Ernie Stahl, and an interview with a German reporter in March 2003 stated, quote, my sister and a good friend of mine were the first ones there, end of quote. Stahl said, quote, they were standing on the street corner in Shanksville talking. Their car was nearby, so they were the first here. And the fire department came, and everyone was puzzled because the call had been that a plane had crashed, but there was no plane. They had been sent here because of a crash, but there was no plane, end of quote. Dennis Roddy, who 
as managing editor of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, sent a team of reporters to the craft site, which was one and a half hours by automobile. Upon arrival, Rodney stated that there was no plane debris that he could identify. Somerset County Coroner Wallace Miller was one of the first persons on the crash scene. The Washington Post reported, quote, or, you know, I don't quote it. Yeah, it's a quote. Uh, Miller was among the very first at, to arrive after 10.06 on the magnificently sunny morning uh, September 11th. He was stunned at how small the smoke crater looked. He said, quote, like someone took a scrape truck and dug a 10-foot ditch and dumped all this trash into it. End of quote. Once he was able to absorb the scene, Miller said, quote, I stopped being a coroner after about 20 minutes because there were no bodies there, end of quote. Coroner Miller was interviewed a year later on September 11, 2002 by the Pittsburgh Tribune Review. Quote, he, t- he, he takes off his glasses, cleans them with his T-shirt. This is the most eerie thing, he says. I have not to this day seen a single drop of blood not a drop in the quote. Miller said something during the interview that seemed incongruent with an airline crash scene. He said, quote, he saw shreds of that white cloth they put over the headrest, end of quote. Reflect on that for a minute. Large steel wheel struts, titanium engine parts, huge aluminum wings, hundreds of aluminum seats, and 40 bodies, all in totaling 115 tons, disappeared. And yet the thin disposal cloth headrest cover survived. The only conclusion to draw from such a circumstance is that no Boeing 757 crashed and the scene was staged, apparently not very convincingly, by planting bits of aircraft scraps to make it appear that a plane crashed there. There is more direct evidence of a staged scene and planted evidence. The investigators who run the website www.killtown.com have discovered clear evidence that the cockpit voice recorder alleged to be from United American Flight 93 was in fact planted on the on the site. Below is a picture of a cockpit voice recorder CVR that was introduced as an exhibit during the United States versus Mossawi's trial. That VCR depicted in the exhibit photograph is supposed to have been found at the scene of the alleged crash in Shanksville. 
The perpetrators of 9-11 crimes, however, made a mistake. They planted the wrong CVR at Shanksville's alleged crash site. Look closely at the H in the picture. It is a remnant of a manufacturer label indicating it was made by Honeywell. Plan plane N five nine one UA, which is the plane that was allegedly United Airlines Flight ninety three, went into service in nineteen ninety six. The flight data recorder is supposed to be labeled quote Allied Signal and quote not quote Honeywell end quote. That is because it was not until 1999 when the Allied Signal acquired Honeywell and took its more recognizable name that it made the CVRs under the brand name Honeywell. In fact, the flight data recorder FDR, which is a special instrument, allegedly recovered for the plane that was flight 93 was listed by the NTSB as manufactured by Allied Signal. Apparently, the perpetrators planted a CVR without realizing that it was manufactured after the plane that allegedly crashed at at Shanksville was built. Honeywell. If UA Flight 93 did not crash at Shanksville, what happened to it? Cincinnati news station C, uh, WCPO, quote, and, uh, oh, nine news, and a quote, reported on 1143, 11 o'clock, 43, well, 11, 43 and 57 seconds a.m. on 9-11-2001 that United Airline Flight 93 landed at Cleveland Airport on 9-11-2001. The report stated in pertinent part, quote, a Boeing 767 out of Boston made an emergency landing Tuesday at Cleveland Hopkins International Airport due to concerns that it may have a bomb aboard said Mayor Michael R. White. White said the plane had been moved to a secure area of the airport and was evacuated. The United identified the plane as Flight 93. The 9 News report was later deleted from the Internet with an explanation that it was an erroneous report from the AP. The problem with that explanation is that it was posted as a report from the nine new staff. Nowhere in the article was there any attribution to the AP. Furthermore, there are two sources for the information named in the article. One, Mayor Michael R. White, and two, United Airlines, who identified the plane as Flight 93. 
Nothing can be determined with certainty from the above information alone. However, when presented with evidence that there were no bodies or any obvious plane debris at the alleged crash site for Flight 93 in Shanksville, Pennsylvania, it seems like a plausible explanation for what actually happened to Flight 93. Christopher Bolin called White at his 45-acre alpaca, alpaca ranch, Seven Pines, Alpesa, I guess Alpesa, I don't know if Alpesa, in New Comer Towns, Ohio, to inquire about the alpacas. About the events, how's all these mares have alpacas bombs? My my cousin is a mare down in South. He has one too. A Mormon and most likely a Freemason too. All right. You just got to compromise your soul, and we'll give you a little bit here. Oh. Gosh, my, my heavenly Father, name Jesus, have mercy on us all. Help, God, help, help. Help, God, help. Anyway, inquired about the events of the Cleveland Airport, uh, 9-11-2001. Quote, White, however, was unwilling to discuss anything and cut the conversation short, saying, I'm out of, interview, uh, out of the interview business, end quote. Some have claimed that Mayor White was confused that the flight was actually Delta Flight 1989. (laughs) In fact, Delta Flight 1989 didn't land in the Cleveland-Hawkins Airport on 9-11. Delta Flight 1989 was one of the several flights that were diverted to Cleveland-Hawkins Airport. The media reported that Delta Flight 1989 I landed at the Cleveland Hudson Airport at 10.10 a.m. and was evacuated at approximately 12.30 p.m. into the FAA headquarters building. Another plane landed at 10.45 a.m. and another one and at 11.15 a.m. Approximately 200 passengers were reportedly evacuated into a NS an NASA Glen Research Center located on the far west end of the airport. NASA, really. It is possible that the other flight that was evacuated into the NASA Glen Research Center was UA Flight 93. News accounts indicated that the NASA Glenn Research Center itself had been evacuated prior to the arrival of Flight 93. One plane contained approximately 200 passengers, which was reportedly evacuated to the NASA Research Center. I did get some bar from me. Okay. Another plane contained 78 passengers, 69 passengers plus nine crew. Uh, 78. 
which the Cleveland plane dealer identified as Delta Flight 1989 and reported that its passengers were taken to the FAA headquarters. However, the Akron Beacon Journal, apparently referring to Delta Flight 1989, reported that 78 passengers were taken to NASA's Glenn Research Center to be interviewed by the FBI agents. Either that is the same plane being inconsistently reported, or there were two planes with the same number of passengers reported to have been evacuated to two different locations. Mary Etheridge, one of the journalists, who worked on the story for Akron Beacon for the Akron Beacon Journal went when questioned on the accuracy of the report stood by the paper's report that the passengers had been interviewed by the FBI and the vacated NASA facility. That confirmation by Etheridge raised two possibilities. One, two planes were unloaded in the NASA facility one plane with approximately 200 passengers, and another with 78 passengers, or only one plane was evacuated into the NASA facility, and the reporters simply got the number of the passengers on each plane wrong. It is unclear how to resolve the seeming contradictory uh, report that a 78-passenger flight was evacuated to the FAA headquarters and also into the NASA facility. One thing is clear, at least one plane was evacuated into the NASA facility, and that plane was was a different plane from the Delta Flight 1989 that was evacuated into the FAA facility. Those that argue that witnesses have confused UA Flight 93 with a Delta Flight 1989, do not address the reports that two different planes landed at two different times, 10, 10 a.m. and 10.45 a.m. And they were evacuated to two different locations, a NASA building and FAA building. Over an hour apart from one another, the NASA facility at 11.15 and the FAA building at 12.30 p.m. There is no confusing that NS, the NASA building with the FAA building because they are a mile apart at opposite ends of the airport. Flight 93 and... I was at that airport, huh? Not that day, but I, was, I took my ne- my nephew back. So he flew back to California. Flight 93 to flight uh, 1989 drew special attention because they were surrounded by law enforcement and quarantined away from the terminal. All other flights were evacuated to the airport terminal. The time and distance between Delta flight 1989 and UA Flight 93 is too great for anyone to have confused Flight 1989 for Flight 93. In order to argue there was confusion between flights, the government must identify some flight other than a Delta Flight 1989, and then explain why that plane was evacuated into the 
NASA Research Center rather than the terminal building. There was no other flight that matches those facts, which is why that argument has not been made. Uh, Debbie Kidd filed a FOIA request for FAA records of arrivals and departures of planes on 9-11-2000 from Cleveland Hopkins Airport. The FAA initially lied to her by telling her that they did not have any such documents. Later, they revised their position and stated that they had the documents after all, and agreed to send them to her. The FAA record reflects that Delta Flight 1989 landed at 10.11 a.m. Continental Airline Flight 3742 flying out of Cleveland is recorded as landing at Cleveland Hawkins Airport at 10.10 a.m. There was no record of landing of a UA Flight 93. There, that is not surprising. If UA Flight 93 had in fact landed at the Cleveland Hopkins Airport, the government would certainly not produce a record confirming that fact. It is easy to delete entries from a government record and then produce a redacted record portraying it as genuine. The news reported that the Cleveland Hopkins Airport had ordered was ordered closed while other airports throughout the country were busting at the scenes with planes when the order came to ground all commercial airline aircraft. However, the record received by Kidd was that there were other flights that landed at the Cleveland Hopkins Airport after 9/11 after the 9-11 attacks. In fact, 13 other flights landed in Cleveland Hawkins Airport after Delta Flight 1989 landed at 10.11 a.m. with Continental Flight landing one minute prior at 10.10 a.m. Well, that's pretty close landings. One of those 13 flights was a military F-16 fighter jet which landed at 12.31 p.m. There was no report that the, that any of the 13 other flights were quarantined at the FAA building or the NASA facility. It seems that the government is pretending that the flight that was seen being evacuated at the NASA building did not exist and that people were, were conf- are confused giving flight 1989 with Flight 93. In order to abide by the government version of the events, one must conclude that no plane was evacuated to the NASA facility. That simply does not hold water as there were specific times of the landing and evacuation given by witnesses. The evacuation of the the plane to the NASA facility was one hour and 15 minutes before flight 1989 was evacuated in the FAA building a mile away. There is just too much time and space separating the events for witnesses to have confused the two flights. The news estimate estimate 
estimate that there were approximately 200 passengers aboard UA Flight 93. Being evacuated to the NASA facility, Uh, would put the plane above its maximum capacity since the UA Flight 93 Boeing 757 only had the capacity of 182 passengers, not including seating available for the seven crew members. The media story is that UA Flight 93 was alleged to have had only 44 passengers. That number includes seven crew members and four hijackers. How then did the passengers, passenger list balloon to an estimated 200 passengers? Some have speculated that the plane was loaded with passengers from other alleged hijacked planes at another site. Let me make more sense right there. Would such a theory even make mathematical sense? At the Boeing 757 that was UA and Flight 93 landed at Cleveland Hopkins Airport, it would only have the capacity to carry 182 passengers. If we assume, as evidence suggests, that the hijackers did not in fact truly exist, we are left with 256 passengers on, on the four planes. 275 total reported passengers and 19 fictional hijackers. Minus 19 fictional hijackers makes 258. A Boeing 757 configured like UA Flight 93 is not large enough to carry 256 passengers. While the UA Flight 93 Boeing 757 was configured to only carry 182 passengers. It should not. It should be noted that the Boeing 57 has many different seat layouts available, and can configure to carry as many as 279 passengers. The above calculation is premised on the assumption that the American Airline Flight 11 and 77 actually existed. As discussed in previous chapters, the evidence suggests that the AA Flight 11 and 77 never existed on 9-11-2001. If Flight 11 and 77 did not exist, that would eliminate 146 passengers from the equation. Only one plane containing 110 passengers would need to be evacuated into the NASA facility. The UA Flight 93 Boeing 757, which was configured to carry 182 passengers, would have been have, would have had the capacity to carry 110 passengers. Why would the government want to evacuate passengers from a flight into a NASA facility? Kathy O'Brien, in her book, Transformation of America, explained that she was often brought to NASA facilities to undergo torturous mind control programming. She stated that part of the process of mind control involved the use of CIA designer drugs, which rendered her helpless and 
and compliant. Bryce Taylor corroborates O'Brien's experience. Taylor stated that she would travel to NASA bases where she was subject to high-level mind control programming. If NASA facilities had been used for criminal kidnapping and mind control program, it would not be a stretch to have the same facility used for other criminal purposes. Who knows what capabilities they have at the NASA Glenn Research Facility at the Cleveland Hopkins Airport. There is one witness to Delta Flight 1989 having landed at the Cleveland Hopkins Airport who has written about her experience aboard that plane on 9-11. The witness, the witness does not explain into which facility she was evacuated, but the time of the event and other details of her account suggest that her flight was evacuated to, into the flight, the FAA facility. It is interesting that the posting of the information was not made by the passenger herself, but rather by someone who says he is her friend. He states that the passenger gave him permission to post her uh, open letter of the events on 9-11. However, he clearly has an agenda to debunk any view of uh, the evidence that contradicts the official government story. He calls those who question the official government conspiracy theory of 9-11 attacks and 9-11 skeptics tinfoil hat types. It seems that the major media outlets in the area were all over the uh, Cleveland Hopkins Airport event uh, of 9-11-2001. However, after the official story came out, they lost interest. There was a rather suspicious lack of curiosity by the media about what took place inside the NASA facility. We don't need to theorize about what happened inside the NASA facility. All we need to know is that none of the passengers who enter the NASA facility have ever been heard from again. As of this writing, it has been almost 10 years since the 9-11-2001, and there are no survivor stories from any member of the crew among the passengers from the other flights offloaded into NASA, the NASA facility. A fact cannot be proven from a lack of evidence except the non-occurrence of an event. When evidence of an event would be expected, a lack of evidence can be the basis for disproving a theory. There is a lack of evidence that a large plane crashed in the crater near Shanksville. The items that have turned up were so obviously planted, only the most gullible would believe they were evidence of a plane crash. We can reasonably infer, therefore, that the UA Flight 93 Boeing 757 did not crash at Shanksville. It is on the ba that basis that the government's conspiracy theory can easily be disproved. We do not know for sure what happened to the plane or the passengers that were supposed to have to be aboard the flight. The disputed report that the UA Flight 93 landed on, at Cleveland Hopkins Airport 
and was evacuated to the NASA Research Center is a significant clue, but more evidence is needed. The initial conspiracy theory by the government and the broadcast throughout major media outlets was that the passengers made self phone calls to others from the hijacked airplanes. Legitimate research indicates that the cell phone calls supposedly made from the airliners would have been impossible. One plausible explanation is that the, the calls were the result of voice morphing technology that allows one person to sound exactly like another person once a voice exemplar is taken. And the exemplar must have been taken prior to the Flight 93 alleged crash time of 10.06 a.m. Hey, K. Dudney, I guess Dudney, Professor Emeris of the University of Western Ontario has concluded from his research that the self phone calls allegedly made from hijacked airplanes on September 11, 2001 were nearly impossible. Professor Dudney conducted trials that confirmed that near-physical impossibility uh, of cell phone calls. A number of factors contribute to the impossibility of cell of the calls. The metal skin of the aircraft has a Faraday effect of degrading the signal. While calls can be made from a plane parked on the ground, a weakened signal has a difficulty reaching a cell tower once the plane reaches an altitude of ten of six of eight thousand feet. prove that the world's flat. Furthermore, the speed of the aircraft at more than 500 miles per hour at cruising altitude will cause towers to drop calls. Typically, a Boeing 757 has a cruising altitude of uh, between 30,000 and 39,000 feet, according to Professor Dundee's and the likelihood, the likelihood of successful successfully making a call at 32,000 feet is 0.006. That is, a cell connection could only be made in six out of 1,000 attempts. According to the official 9-11 commission report of the hijacker attacked the cockpit of the UA Flight 93 at 9.28 a.m., when the plane was traveling at 35,000 feet. The plane dropped 700 feet during the struggle. At 9.32, one of the hijackers made an announcement to the, to the Flight 93 passengers. Quote, shortly thereafter, the passengers and the flight crew began a series of calls from GTE airphones air and cellular phones, unquote. In 9-11-2001 FBI report of an interview with Denis, uh, I guess it's Leanne Burnett, she told the FBI that she received a series of three to five cellular calls, cellular phone calls,
calls from her husband, Thomas Edward Burnett, Jr., beginning at approximately 9.30 a.m. EST, 6.30 PST, with her last call being approximately 9.45 EST, 6.45 a.m. PST. She told the FBI agent that she knew that her husband was using his own cell phone because her husband's cell phone she told the FBI agent that she knew that her husband was using his own cell phone because her husband's cell phone number appeared on the cell the call identification. She said that only one call did not show up on the caller identification because she was on the line with the other with another call. Here the government has a problem. According to the official 9-11 Commission report, the plane was flying approximately 34,300 feet. That's 35,000 minus 700 foot drop makes 34,300 feet. We know that it is almost impossible for Edward Burnett to make a call from that altitude. Yet not only made one call, he allegedly made a series of three to five calls. According to Professor Aduni, the chance of successfully making three successive phone calls from an altitude higher than 32,000 feet is one in five million. That's uh, 0. 0.006 times 0. 0.006, so it's times 0. 0.006, which equals point zero 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 six zeros two the government had and had to do something about this problem they decided to simply continue their practice of adding one lie on top of another in 2006 during the trial in the United States versus Amosawi the US Department of Justice simply ignored mrs. Bennett's account and applied that her husband called from an onboard air phone. C.C. Lyles, a UA flight attendant, also called from her cell phone starting at 9.47 a.m. She initially left a message. Her husband finally woke up to take the call at approximately 9.51 a.m. She told him that she was calling from a plane and that the plane had been hijacked. He looked at the, cell, the caller identification and noticed that the call was from her phone. Her husband thought that was unusual since he knew cell phones do not work from planes in flight. What is very odd about the phone message left on the recorder is that she repeats three times that she is on the plane as though she is trying to convince her husband of that fact. She states, quote, I am on the plane that's being hijacked. I'm on the plane. I'm calling from the plane. Another thing that is odd, you can hear a voice from a person standing close by faintly whispering in the background what sounds like, you did great. Below is a picture of a personal effects of C.C. Lyles. The plane 
aluminum wings, titanium engine parts, fuselage, steel landing gear, tail section, 282 seats, and all the passengers completely vanished. Her body allegedly disintegrated in the crash. The coroner stated that he could not find a single drop of blood from any of the passengers. Yet C.C. Lyle's thin plastic driver's license and her fragile paper receipts survived unscathed and were not even singed. That is more than incredible. It is impossible. It is simply does not pass the smell test. Really do this poor woman. Certainly Mrs. Bennett and Mr. Lyles couldn't recognize their spouse's voices. Their spouse actually made the purported calls, right? Not necessarily. A little known technology exists that allows a person to mimic the exact sound of a person after taking a sample of other ten of only ten minutes of his voice. Well, imagine they could do the take a sample of me, couldn't they? In February nineteen ninety nine, the Washington Post reported that General Carl W. Steiner, former commander in chief of U.S. Special Operations Command, was brought was broadcast as saying, quote, gentlemen, we have called you together to inform you that we are going to overthrow the United States government, end quote. What? The statement, however, was not made by General Steiner. It was a demonstration recording by a computer program that morphed General Steiner's voice to sound exactly like him, saying something that he would never be expected to actually say. General Steiner was so impressed by the demonstration that he asked for a copy of the, the tape. The article persistently stated presently stated uh, quote, for Hollywood, it is special effects. For covert operators in the United States and intelligence agencies, it is a weapon of the future, end of quote. The future came just two years later, 1990, 9-11-2001, when the voices of passengers of alleged hijacked planes were morphed to sound like them making calls from planes that were supposed to have been hijacked. The author of the article explains, digital morphing voice, video, and photo has come of age, available for use in psychological operations, psyops, as the military calls it, seeks to exploit human vulnerabilities and enemy governments, militaries, and populations to pursue national and battlefield objectives. Voice morphing fake videos, holographic projections. They sound more like Mission Impossible and Star Trek gimmicks than weapons. Yet, for each, there are corresponding and growing research efforts as the technologies improve and offensive F- information warfare expands. 
Whereas early voice morphing required cutting and pasting speech to put letters and words together to make a composite, Tapcon's software developed a, at Los Alamos can far more accurately replicate the way one actually speaks and eliminated eliminated our their robotic intonations. The perpetrators of 9-11 could not risk having a real person making the calls. They would have no control of what might be blurted out. The voice morphing technology explains perfectly how calls were made by persons portraying the callers who described hijacking that never took place. Below is a is a colloquy uh, between a, a man claiming to be Mark Bingham, who called Bingham's sister-in-law, Kathy Hoglin. Bingham's mother was visiting her. Bingham's mother is Alice Bingham. Kathy Hoglin initially took the call and then handed the phone to Alice, telling her, Alice, talk to Mark. He's been hijacked, unquote. But <laughs> Bingham's mother made the point of stating that her son had made the call from an air phone in the plane. Below is the conversation that Alice Bingham had with the person portraying himself as her son. Caller, Mom, this is Mark Bingham. Caller, I want you to know I love you. I'm on a flight from Newark to San Francisco, and there are three guys who have taken over the plane and say, and they say they have a bomb. Alice, who are these guys? Call her. After a pause, you believe me, don't you? Call her. Yes, Mark, I believe you. But who are these guys? After another pause, a line with Dad. Who calls his mother and gives his last name? <laughs> Nobody. Someone who is portraying the son, however, would make that mistake. Mom, this is Mark Bingham. <laughs> the actor was a little befuddled. He was so uncertain of his success in deceiving Mark Bingham's mother that he actually asked, you believe me, don't you? There are more to the mystery of Mark Bingham, Bingham than the strange phone conversation he had with his mother. A groundbreaking discovery was made by Phil Jahan. He came across information embedded in the IPTC code of Bingham's picture posted on the CNN 9-11 memorial website, which indicated that the picture and the obituary information in the sidebar to the photo were prepared for posting by the CNN 12 days prior to 9-11.
the IPTC metadata for the proposed 1993 college graduation photo of Bingham indicated that the photo had an IPTC title of, quote, attacks airline victims Bingham, end quote. The International Press Telecommunication Council, IPTC, is an organization that, among other things, sets standards for the use of metadata embedded into a digital image. Metadata is data that is usually not visible but can be read with special software by computers or humans that describes, quote, what you can see on a photo, either using free text or codes from controlled vocabulary, end quote. We're in such deep trouble. According to the IPTC, the information in the metadata includes, quote, administrative information about the photo, like who has sent it, when and where it was taken, etc. The IPTC standard is designed for the international exchange of news, news photographs among newspapers and news agencies. Information such as the name of the photographer, copyright information, date, and captain, caption, and other descriptions can be embedded either manually or automatically into the digital photograph by most popular digital editing software, most popular digital editing software. The IPTC is very careful about the accuracy of the information contained in the metadata because that is critical in establishing legal and intellectual property rights of the creator, which is why the IPTC has regular meetings with industry groups when establishing standards for the IPTC. The IPTC metadata in Bingham's photo post on a CNN 9-11 memorial website, figure 29 below, indicates that the photo was prepared on August 30, 2001, which was 12 days prior to the September 11, 2001 attack. The obituary was embed, which is embedded into the digital coding of the picture stated file, Mark Bingham 31, shown in this 1993 graduation photo from the University of California, Berkeley, was killed aboard United Flight 93, New Jersey, to the San Francisco Tuesday, September 11, 2001, after it crashed outside of Pittsburgh. AP photo, Contra Costa Sime, Times handout. Editing a photo by using a photo editing program such as Adobe Photoshop affects the IPTC date data when the person enters or updates the IPTC data. Manually clicks the quote today end of quote button to display the current date, which is standard procedure when that is followed by clicking on the quote right end of quote button, the date is changed to present date. That means at the very least, some or all the IPTC metadata was entered or altered by the AP 
in Bingham's, Bingham's, Bingham's graduation photo on August 30, 2001. Bingham's graduation photo was reportedly originally taken in 1993. Why would an AP show an interest in Mark Bingham on the August 30, 2001? Even if the AP had an interest in Bingham, why choose an eight-year-old graduation photo? Certainly they were not going to run a story about his 1993 graduation on or after 8-30-2001. The very idea is preposterous. The only logical explanation is that whoever entered the IPTC caption data and the attacks, quote, tax airline victims, Bingham, quote, end of quote, data made a huge blunder by having the IPTC data reflect the date he made the ad addition, uh, the edit, excuse me. This is just troubling as all get out. which was August 30th, 2001. In August 30th, 2001, IPTC metadata clearly points to foreknowledge of 9-11 attacks by the AP. Researchers have discovered many more persons whose photos posted by the CNN have embedded IPTC metadata that indicate that CNN, AP, and other affiliated news entities knew in advance about the 9-11 attacks and had identified those who would be the victims of the attacks. The conclusion that the AP and CNN had prior knowledge and were in fact accomplices in the 9-11 attacks is supported by the suspicious conduct of CNN after it found out about the IPTC anomalies in the Bing, Bingham photograph. The CNN September 11 memorial website contains the names and obituaries for all of the victims of 9-11. They are listed on the website by each of the four flights, the Pentagon, the World Trade Center, and the World Trade Center. When the IPTC code issue came to light. CNN responded by not only deleting Mark Bingham's photograph, but CNN also scoured its scoured its 9/11 memorial website and deleted many other incriminating photos. The scale of CNN's photographic redaction is surprising. CNN's September 11 memorial website has last listed the names of 40 victims that were allegedly aboard the UA flight 93. Using the Wayback Interact archive, one can find that on June 11, 2009, CNN website had photographs posted of 32 out of the 40 victims allegedly. Board Flight 93. 
However, after the IPTC code issue came to light, CNN deleted Bingham's photo and the photos of 26 other victims, leaving only five victims with photos displayed. As of this writing, in April of 25th of 2011, the CNN Memorial website contains only the photos of UA flight victims Christian Adams, Colleen Fraser, Leroy Homer, and um, Waleska River Rivera, and Christian Snyder. As of June 11th, 2009, CNN had photographs of 72 out of 87 alleged victims for um, American Airlines Flight 11 on its memorial website. After the IPTC metadata anomalies came up to light, came to light, excuse me, CNN stripped 56 of the pictures of the Flight 11 alleged victims. The website now depicts only 16 pictures of for the 87 alleged victims of AA Flight 11. As of June 11, 2009, CNN had photographs of 40 out of the 59 alleged victims of American Airlines Flight 77 on its memorial website. After the IPTC and metadata information came to light, CNN deleted 33 out of the 40 pictures, leaving only seven pictures of the alleged victims of the AA Flight 77 posted on its memorial website. And there's that magical 33 again. As of June 11, 2009, CNN had photos of 41 out of 60 alleged victims of United Airlines Flight 175 on its memorial website. After the IPTC metadata anomalies came to light, CNN stripped 31 out of the, of the pictures, 31 of the pictures of the UA Flight 175 victims, leaving only 10 victims, 10 pictures of the 60 alleged victims of the UA Flight 175 posted on its memorial website. It is quite suspicious and incriminating for CNN to delete all of those uh, photographs. That is conducted in, conduct indicating uh, a cover-up. It is evidence that CNN and the AP had prior knowledge of, nine, of the 9-11 attacks, which when viewed in light of other evidence, suggests that the news media was complicit in the crime of 9-11. we are American. God have mercy on us all. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but about spiritual wickedness. 
evil things. Oh, God have mercy. God have mercy. You know what I mean? We wrestle, so we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take upon you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins skirted about with truth, the truth of Jesus Christ, having on the breastplate plate of righteousness. The truth is in Jesus Christ. He is also the only righteousness that a man can have. I believe in my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I believe. I know, Lord Jesus, you are real. I know, Heavenly Father, that you're real. I know that your plan is real. I know that the only way to salvation, eternal life, is through your Son, our Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ. There is no other hope. There is nothing else but you, God. Can you love a sinner like me? Because I'm an awful sinner, God, and you know that. Can you love a man like me? In the name of Jesus Christ, I beg of you, Lord Jesus, to be my be girded before the the be stand there for having your loins girded about the truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace is Jesus Christ, Lord Savior Jesus Christ, to believe in Him. Above all, to take the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayers and supplication and spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Dear God, in the name of Jesus, watch over my brothers and sisters in Christ. Almighty God, protect us all. Almighty God, we need your protection. We all need your protection, whether they like me or not, whether they even care about me, whether they hate me, whatever, as as their brother, Dear Lord Jesus, dear Lord Heavenly Father, protect them. Things are going to get really bad, aren't they, God? Almighty God, thank you for all you've given me. Thank you for Jesus. You know, it's good to be alone with God. It really is. Well, I don't know. I mean, it's the end of September 11th. Um, you know, somebody wants me to continue reading this stuff. I mean, this is just powerful stuff. 
It's powerful. <laughs> what can you say? What can you say? Edward, you did another great job. And we're now at uh, the impossible speeds. <clears throat> he really uh, did a great job. Thank you, God, and please bless Edward. Watch over him. He must be watching over him. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.